0: So we're joined for this episode of Bookable Space by author Liz Alderman, who will be reading from and talking about her book, The Perfect Neighborhood. Liz, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here to chat with you.
0: Oh, wonderful. Any time. So shall we just dive right in? Sure. Wonderful. So can you tell us a bit about The Perfect Neighborhood?
1: Absolutely. So it begins with uh, a model an actress who lives in this leafy upscale suburb and she leaves her husband in the middle of the night. And so it becomes the talk of the town and everybody sort of is gossiping, you know, where did she go? Is this the end for them? What's going to happen next? And fast forward two months and a five-year-old almost six-year-old boy, is walking home from kindergarten. Uh, Typically, he would be escorted by a classmate, but that boy isn't there that afternoon. And he vanishes just without a trace. They don't know where he is. And making matters a little more complicated is the fact that his babysitter... Um, a high school senior, is late the afternoon. She's supposed to be there to meet him. And so she has a secret of her own. So the, I guess I would say the theme of it is that sort of everyone has a, a little something, you know, below the surface that their neighbors don't know about. And I guess I would say that what seems perfect on the surface really isn't uh, once you kind of dig a little deeper and the book is told from multiple points of view. So you get to hear from several different characters who shed a little light into how they feel about each other and the town. And so you get a lot of gossip, which I always find, you know, juicy when I read a novel. So <laughs> I, hope, I hope readers will, will connect with that, especially those who have lived in a small town or suburb.
0: Oh, it sounds absolutely fascinating.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: You're welcome. Could we have a, a reading, please?
1: Absolutely. I guess I'll start right from the beginning. So this is chapter one, and it starts on Thursday, June 13th, and it's from Rachel's point of view. For the past two months, we spoke of little other than the Langleys. Did you hear? She's gone. No, it can't be true. If they can't make it work, none of us stands a chance. Allison and Christopher Langley? Oh, it's over. Totally. Someone saw him jogging with the dog, just the two of them. That's a first. How long do you figure he'll be alone? Less than a minute. Look at him. I bet he won't even have to set up an online dating profile. How fast do you think he'll decide to move back to the city? That house has to have what? Four bedrooms at least? And so close to the elementary school? Let me know the second he decides to sell. I know a couple who'd kill for that location. On and on it went for weeks as May slipped into June. Nearly everyone within a three block radius of the Langley's well-maintained colonial whispered about them over hedges, in the parks and playgrounds, while walking their dogs and toddlers around the pond in the heart of our otherwise sleepy town. Some refused to believe it. The Langley's? No way. I'm sure she's just off filming another commercial, probably somewhere fabulous. I wonder what she's pushing this time. Toothpaste? Rental cars? (laughs) What a life. That might have seemed plausible if Mary Alice Foster's son, Phil, hadn't seen Allison hurry into an Uber at four in the morning without a suitcase. Mm, Can we trust Phil? No disrespect. I'm just saying, he hasn't seemed quite right since he's been back. Yeah, no offense, but Phil's not exactly credible. And why is he watching their house? That's creepy. Others insisted they'd seen it coming. I saw Allison looking teary at the drugstore a few weeks back, but I chalked it up to allergies, trees budding and all. Show me a person whose eyes aren't watering, right? Anyway, I said hello, and she sort of waved back. It wasn't like we had a conversation. We didn't really know each other. Did anyone really know the Langley's?
0: Wow! Suspicious. <laughs> oh, thank Quite you. the opening. You're welcome. So I really love that the book is set in suburbia, and I feel like it gives the readers a chance to kind of question what we think we know about other people, what we think we know happens behind closed doors. Where did the idea come from?
1: Oh, well, thank you for asking. I have to say, I live in New Jersey, and I have lived in suburbs like the one, I mean, the one Oak Hill in this novel is sort of an exaggerated amalgamation of the small towns where I've lived. But it does it in many ways, there are aspects that I sort of snatched from real life. But overall, I would say the idea came to me in a dream, I sort of woke up with the beginning and the ending. And then what's funny is, uh, it was very vivid. And I told my husband, and he said, Ah, that'll never work. And so, (laughs) all right, you know, I usually I trust him for the most part uh, with my ideas. But so I sort of waited for another idea to come to me because I do I love to write and I love to take writing workshops, but I don't really like to go into it without an idea, you know, just because I I don't want to waste my time or my peers time, you know, just writing nonsense, that's not going to go anywhere. So I waited and waited and no other ideas were coming to me. But I will say, as I was sort of washing dishes or doing laundry or watering my plants, I could feel these characters sort of coming to life in my head from this one idea. And so I guess about six months after I had the dream, I just opened my laptop, opened a blank Word document and started typing. And before I knew it, I had about 6,000 words. And I will say like, they, they were not perfect sentences. They were not great scenes, but I felt like they were enough to say, okay, you've got something here, go with this idea. And so then I guess I signed up for that writing workshop to keep me accountable. So I would move forward. And then of course, COVID hit, but fortunately we went uh, to online meetings. And so that really kept me going so that I wouldn't just kind of, you know, shelve the idea (laughs) midway through.
0: I love that. I grew up in New Jersey and I always feel like um, I grew up in a place called Sweetwater and I oh. always feel like it's a wonderful place for a murder. So.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, too, if you are in a town where not much, you know, I mean, you're fortunate to maybe not have a lot of crime, but at the same time, when something happens, it's like every townsperson wants to weigh in and, you know, who do they suspect? And what, you know, so definitely there's a lot, a lot of room there for speculation.
0: Oh, wonderful. Could we have another reading, please?
1: Absolutely. So I was thinking this time, I will take you to chapter three, to the babysitter's chapter. Okay, so this is Cassidy, who was supposed to be waiting for Billy, the boy who's missing. And just to give you a bit of setup, this is so he vanishes on a Thursday afternoon. And this is now Saturday night as police officers are dragging the pond that's in the heart of the town do you think he's in there? He asks, Billy, I mean, do you think he's in there? I narrow my eyes and stare at him. The harsh glare of floodlights turns Kyle, the yellowy white of a potato chip. The lawn surrounding the pond shines like that cheap plastic grass you stuff in an Easter basket. Everything looks fake in this creepy glow. And for the millionth time since Thursday, I wish none of it were real. That I'm tripping like the guys in my gym class who mess around with microdosing and mushrooms. It's 10 p.m. The police and the mayor agreed that searching the pond for Billy's body should be done at night so it won't alarm local families. That's Oak Hill for you. Never let anyone think this is anything other than a quaint little Norman Rockwell town. Like if you search for a missing kid during the day. Oak Hill won't top those stupid 10 best towns to raise your family lists. Everyone around here makes a part-time job out of pretending their lives are perfect. Meanwhile, they can't go seven seconds without gossiping about one another. I should know. Since Thursday, stories about Billy, his family, and me have been spreading faster than lice through a preschool. 80, maybe 100 people have come out tonight. Only a handful look worried. The rest seem straight up interested, like they've got a front row seat to the best show in town. I imagine them shoveling down their dinners and reminding their spouses, set the DVR. We've got ourselves some real live drama right here in Oak Hill tonight. Vultures. They talk to the reporters whose news vans ring the pond, and I lean a little closer to the tree. Mom says I shouldn't be here that it'll only make me feel worse. Maybe she's right. I haven't really slept since Billy's been gone. I can't. And I've stopped trying because when I wake up, it all rushes back. When I nap, I dream of Billy calling my name. I can't see him or get to him. We're in a maze. I follow the sound of his raspy little voice. But every time I turn a corner, he isn't there. I try shouting, Billy, Billy, where are you? Answer me but can't get the words out. That feeling of being paralyzed startles me awake, my heart galloping, skin clammy. Cass, Kyle whines loudly, even though he's still standing right next to me. I asked you a question. Do you think he's in there?
0: It's such a joy to hear you read.
1: Oh, you're so sweet. Thank (laughs) you. You're I have to welcome. I have to say that they I have an audiobook and when I hear the narrators I feel like I should never read again because <laughs> they it, I feel like it's such a skill and uh I'm I'm very envious of those who are good at it but thank you for for being so kind.
0: <laughs> oh, my pleasure. So now I get to ask one more question. Sure. So we have a model, well, former wife a rock star husband and first one and then two missing children. Mm-hmm. What was the most challenging thing about writing this book? Oh,
1: I would say because it's told from multiple points of view, I wanted to shift back and forth and but I always wanted the timeline to be moving forward. So there were times so what I did was after I wrote the book, I realized that some chapters were too long. I felt or that I felt like you were in one character's head for too long. So I printed it out and then I just started uh, drawing arrows and stars. And I joke, you know, that expression, like if you could see how the sausage gets made, you wouldn't eat the sausage. If somebody saw what I was doing with my arrows and diagrams, um, you would say, oh, Liz, that is never going to come together as a novel. <laughs> but so I would say just trying to, to keep everyone, you know, for example, if something happens on on a Thursday in one character's world and then somebody references it. I just wanted to always be sure that the dates and times were always lining up for each person, but that you were still if it you know we saw one character on a Thursday the time we saw the next character it might be a Saturday and then it might be a Monday for the next so we're still advancing but that it would all make sense. So that was really a challenge for me and I don't I don't know that I would ever try to do this many points <laughs> nice. of you again.
0: I love that. Like just when you learn the system for doing that book, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that again.
1: <laughs> right. No. I don't think so. I said I have to give my brain kind of a break.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and could we have one final reading, please?
1: Sure, absolutely. I'm just going to take you since we've already touched on Rachel, I think I'm going to take you into chapter 4, and this is Lindsay who is I thought I know a lot of my readers are not fans of Lindsay. But I, because I guess she is that gossipy kind of uh, woman, you know, in town that maybe you, you wouldn't share, you wouldn't tell her any secrets because you know, they're going to go through the whole town. But I enjoyed writing her because she doesn't, I don't want to say she doesn't have a stake in it, but she's kind of just uh, almost like letting you know what's going on in the town without, she doesn't have the stress of being the parent of the missing child, nor is she the babysitter, nor is she the actress. So she was kind of fun for me. Just as a a little setup here. Okay, so this is Saturday evening, late after the pond has been dragged, and she goes home. I tiptoe into the house close to midnight, praying the kids are all in bed, asleep. Sergeant Pepper, our labradoodle, stretches across the sofa. He yawns as I kick off my wedges. A black dog, three wild boys, and a white couch. What the hell was I thinking? Pepper, get is all I need to say. He hops down, tags jingling, and follows me into the kitchen, where I grab a San Pellegrino and toss him a treat. The house is deliciously, or suspiciously, quiet. I don't know which until I climb the staircase and peek into each of the boys' rooms, making sure there's no late-night Xbox tournaments happening, no devices smuggled under covers. A faint light spills into the hallway from beneath my bedroom door. Behind it, Scott's propped up on pillows, scrolling away on his phone, as addicted as our kids. Hey! His voice takes on this sexy, throaty quality each rugby and baseball season, all that yelling from the sidelines. Hey, I whisper back and cross the room ignoring his balled up work socks and dress shirt, which have been nesting in a heap on the floor since Friday afternoon. So how was it? He asks. Creepy, terrifying. I slip off my shorts and tug my shirt over my head as the scene from the pond flashes through my mind. The super harsh floodlights making everyone look like waxy replicas of themselves. Their low echoey voices interrupted by the squawk of police radios. I shake off a shiver, unhook my bra, and let it drop to the floor. At least this gets my husband to look up for a second. His face glows a soft blue, lit by the screen, before he puts the phone down and frowns. Did they find him? Nope. You know, I didn't think they would. I pull a long cotton tank top from beneath my pillow, slip it on, and lean in to kiss him. He sniffs. You smell like. Robin made us try this eucalyptus essential oil she sells. It's supposed to repel mosquitoes. I scratch my shoulders. Clearly, it doesn't work. I was going to say wine. He arches his eyebrows. You smell like wine. Sarah invited a bunch of us back to her house. You went drinking after you watched cops drag a pond for the body of... I wait for him to say our son's friend or even Ollie's classmate but he can't finish the sentence. Scott played tight end in college, but on the inside, he's soft as a litter of kittens. That seems kind of inappropriate, even for your crew. I roll my eyes, my back to him, as I remove my earrings and bracelets. Some reporter interviewed Betsy about her petition. She thought she might be on the 11 o'clock news. Sarah's house was closest. But if she was on TV, we missed it. I wonder if that's why she was all dressed up. She said she'd just come from a graduation party, but now I wonder. I walk into the bathroom. Strange as it sounds, this is my favorite room in the house. We remodeled it in March, hiring the contractor Rachel Barnes recommended. I had a hard time convincing Scott at first. Nothing was wrong with the old bathroom. It just looked outdated. Too much reclaimed wood. I felt like I was bathing in a barn. I'm surrounded by males. Don't I deserve something pretty? Feminine? I'd lobbied until Scott finally relented. I'd used photos from this Napa Valley spa we visited for our anniversary as inspiration. Derek, the contractor, nailed it. Every time I step onto the white marble floor and see that decadent soaking tub, the elegant crystal chandelier suspended high above it, it brings me joy. Whoever said money can't buy happiness should see this bathroom. <laughs> you oh, can see that oh, she was fun to write, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so, where can we find the perfect neighborhood?
1: Thank you so much for asking. It's available. Well, if anyone would like to go to my website, which is lizalterman.com, I do have links there. I have partnered with a local, a New Jersey-based bookstore called Words. It's in Maplewood, New Jersey. And they employ um, students and adults who are differently abled and neurodivergent. So I, I love this bookstore and they do a lot for the community. So if anyone would like to order through them, I can go in and sign a copy there or they can follow other links. Or uh, also, I do have a good friend helped me. She was our local book club leader. She helped me come up with book club discussion questions. So anyone who decides to read the book or maybe chooses it for their book club, there are discussion questions there. And as I note on the website, I'm happy to pop in for a Zoom if anyone if anyone cares. <laughs> uh, and I know my mom would want me to say this is free of charge because uh, she's always like, will there be any cost for this? So <laughs>
0: moms are the best. I feel like we think of everything.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I like to just put that out there. I'm happy to pop in. No, no charge. I'm just grateful people are reading the book.
0: Oh, Liz, thank you so much for being our guest.
1: Thank you. I had such a pleasure speaking with you.
0: It was such a treat and and really enjoyed the readings and your generous answers. So Thank you you so very much.
1: Thank you, Yvonne. It was great. I hope we can chat again soon.
0: Oh, I'm sure we can. And especially for your next book.
1: That would be great. I know. Fingers crossed, right?
0: Exactly. (laughs) There's
1: only two points of view. (laughs)